Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book artist, writer, and absolutely hilarious human being, John Tucker, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, if you like what you hear today, and you'd like to help us reach more listeners, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. It takes less than a minute, and it really does help. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, John Tucker. How's it going? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, been a bit busy. Um, I've just come back from holiday. And, oh, where have you been? Uh, France, uh, to oh, Brittany, nice. Brittany specifically. Uh, my yeah. my wife's French, so we go there every year and kind of visit her family and kind of do all sorts of bits and bobs around Brittany and things. Oh, but, lovely. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was pretty good. Um, it can be intense because I'm I'm trying to get better and better at French, so you know, trying to actually, like, converse in French whilst, you know... <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I yeah. was going to ask you that, I was going to ask you whether you speak French because um, my my wife speaks French and Spanish and I've been around oh, wow. her when she's speaking French to other... to, to French people. Yeah. And I don't speak a word of French, so I, I was going to ask whether you spoke it too because, you know, whenever, you know, whenever she, like, takes off with somebody mm-hmm. in French... It's a bit spare prick at a wedding. Do you know what I mean? Like it really can be. I've just got to stand there and kind of nod. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just nod and like, smile. They could be saying anything, and I've just got to nod. <laughs> Go on body language. Like what's happening here? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, feel it out. But uh, yeah, yeah. Even like when my wife properly gets going, um, speaking uh, French with her family and things, and they're speaking way too quick and it's like whoa I, I i can only like get little words out of it but uh, yeah yeah say la vie as they say exactly yeah <laughs> so how are you doing anyway yeah i'm okay yeah um uh God, what have i been doing uh I'm working on working on my new book at the minute great um i'm uh slowly getting through the lager i bought in glasgow when i was there the other week Good um and yeah so that's that's what i've been up to <laughs> <laughs> beers and comics awesome mm. <laughs> sounds good to me that's um, uh, tenants the sponsor of uh, comics of the apocalypse this week that's tenants lager <laughs> check it out uh, it's got to be tenants.com or something or tenantsbeer.com or just, google so. it. just google it yeah, or we'll just go to a weatherspoons you'll be able to pick it up there yeah exactly <laughs> um so um for for any of our listeners that don't know um who are you in the world of comics uh well i'm john sucker uh, I'm an independent uh, comic creator. I, um, I don't think I'm. I haven't really got like a running series or title that I'm famous for. I think I'm better known for creating these sort of like uh, kitchen sink sort of comedy books. I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah. You know, sort of like these uh, sort of like uh, absurdist humor titles, like. Um, uh, bald is probably my most famous one, which was the memoir of the baldest man that ever lived. Yeah. Or there was a drift, which was about uh, what happens to Earth two years after all the gravity goes away. 
uh, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, Love I it. mean, that's uh, that's that's my wheelhouse. I would say definitely. And I, I needed to pick up more books from from you uh, next time that I see you, because um, uh, I managed to pick up uh, Plan A, Plan B. Oh, the flip book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From um, from your website, uh, but we did we did briefly meet at True Believers this year, didn't we? We did, yeah, yeah. I uh, just yeah. briefly via, via Sarah Millman, of course, um, the the connector of worlds in uh, in in the comic world. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Plan A, Plan B was great, mate. Oh, thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah, Sarah's. Um, yeah, Sarah's a funny one because because um, I remember we, we did um, we did a show in Bristol uh, just before Christmas, and the morning was very very quiet, and we we were wondering if we were going to tank it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And uh, my, my wife turned to me and went, see, no Sarah. Because it was the first show we'd ever done where Sarah hadn't been there. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. So, I mean, to us, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, um, you know, Sarah's a lovely person and everything. But to us, she's very much sort of like a, a sort of a, a good luck charm as well as that. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, yeah. if, she, if she's not there, the shows tend to die on their asses. Definitely. So just you just got to follow Sarah, basically. Whatever Pretty much, she's yeah. doing, I do. Yeah, wherever she goes, we go also. Yeah, <laughs> definitely fantastic. Um, great. Um, so uh, where can can people actually find you on the interwebs? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, you can go to <laughs> johntucker.co.uk. That's my uh, website uh, where you can see, uh, you know. Uh, there's a few of my books up in full to read on there um you can see a photograph of me smiling uh, <laughs> uh you, um i suppose the, the most you know if, if you're looking for sort of like the up to the minute you know news wirey type thing uh twitter would probably be the best place to to go i'm uh, at john tucker art uh john tucker underscore 69 was taken so i had to go with art <laughs> um <sake>. yeah exactly. <laughs> uh yeah that's where i'm most active yeah that, but you know uh, I, I did have a Facebook page, but uh, you know, like, yeah, I'm, what's, what's I'm, to be gained? You know, isn't it? I'm I'm really falling out of love with Facebook. Um, I've got I've got a comics for the apocalypse page. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, just just Twitter is the place for me. Um, oh, definitely. Ha- yeah. However, you know, you, there are bad parts of Twitter, of course, but Twitter yeah. is just so much more engaging for me. Mm. But, it was yeah. quicker and there's less of my um there's less of like my mum's friends that i've felt obliged to add out of guilt that's the problem with facebook <laughs> isn't it it's like all, all of you your, your parents and their friends are on there yeah your, like, your uncle and your auntie and stuff like that and it's like yeah oh. i get i get a friend request from someone called gene and the profile picture is just a pebble <laughs> I'll, I, in very, I'll text my mother and say, who the hell is this? I go, oh, can you, can you just add her? She's in the library group. <laughs> yeah, classic. It's someone, you know what I mean? It's just someone she knows from the village. Like, Love it, love mm. it. And then they, they, they come out with the most random comments, don't they? Oh, it's yeah. So Share this if you were beaten as a kid and it never did you any harm. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Share this if you used to drink your water through a, you know, through a bag of compost. <laughs> We were the compost boys. Never did us any harm, right, <laughs> fellas? There, Do you know what I mean? bring it back in schools. Yeah, there's only you know. two of them left, of course. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> of course. But yeah, <laughs> love it, love it. Um, and uh, talking of Facebook, there's actually just been a post that I've seen on Facebook, um, and there's actually been an alien invasion. Oh, you're joking? I'm afraid. Um, oh God. So yeah. Um, 
So my, my, my first question for you is, is what is your action plan for survival in, a, in an alien invasion? Right. Okay. So alien invasion. Right. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm quite lucky in this regard because I live just outside of Swansea. And with the best will in the world, I don't think Swansea is a tactical um, <laughs> hotspot. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not going to be making a beeline for Swansea, right? You never know. You never know, but I would I would say that in the event of like as soon as the news breaks, like alien out, you know, alien invasion, there, you know, I think I've got at least an hour before <laughs> anything happens, you know, like because it's going to be London first, and then yeah. you know Cardiff, yeah. and then you know you know Bridgend, and then us, right? So let's say I've got an, let's say I've got an hour, right? My plan for this would be. Um, what you're going to need if you're going to do this at home is you're going to need a shovel and about 10 meters of hose pipe. Right. Like and what you're going to do is you're going to head down to the nearest graveyard. Always make yourself familiar, right? Right. And what you're looking for is a freshly buried grave. Yeah. Right. Now, my plan of action is find the most recent one there is, dig it up. R.I.P. Be respectful. Dig it up. Um, put all the mud that you're digging up inside a loop of hose pipe, right? Right. And then what you're going to do is you're going to climb in the grave, right? Don't worry yeah. about who's in it. Just pop that on the grass. People have got bigger problems at the time than you know yeah. grave disturbances. So. Yeah. <clears throat> pop that on the grass. So now what you've got is um, a big pile of mud in a loop of hose pipe. Right, so you're going right. to go in there, seal the coffin on yourself as best you can, with the hose pipe with you, and what you're going to do is you're just going to tease the slack of that hose pipe, yeah, mm -hmm. just going to gently pull it, so that I'll pull the mud on top of you. Right. Do you see what I mean? I, I see where you're going. I'm essentially going to bury myself. Yeah. That's my plan, and I'm going to wait there for as long as is necessary for the threat to dissipate or to be round up and captured stupidly. And the good thing about, yeah, because I don't think an alien would recognize a bit of hose pipe sticking out of the ground as something unusual. No, probably not. Cause there's going to be a load of like geometry and a load of stuff they're not familiar with. Like they have never seen like cars or skips or manhole covers. They're not going to be worried about a length of hose pipe. But if, you know, two lads are coming, running, out of breath, oh, God, there's a length of hose pipe there. Also, you can use the hose pipe to communicate with topside to a limited extent. Yeah. So if you've got two lads running up going, oh, there's a length of hose pipe there, you can just gently talk into it. Can you just keep moving, boys? I'm trying to trying to lay low down here. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, cheers, no problem. <laughs> and then they're off, right? Aliens, you'll hear right. them coming a mile off. So that's my plan, is to essentially bury myself like a coward. Excellent. Yeah, and just uh, is that just roughly what out. you were expecting to hear? I was not expecting that particular <laughs> situation at all, but uh, I, I, I can see the logic. I can You've got to have logic. a plan, boys. You've got yeah. to have a plan oh, for this. Totally. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, what's your what's your plan after the, after if the aliens go? Well, I mean, the thing is, you, you, you'd run out of supplies every now and again, wouldn't you? So, yeah. I mean, if you run out of food or you need to use the toilet or whatever, I would simply punch my way out of the coffin, like uh, in Kill Bill. Uh, the documentary Kill Bill, punch my way out the coffin, go foraging for supplies, and then just rebury myself using the yeah. same method I did the first time. It'll get easier every time. Bingo. No problem. 
Yeah. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Just wait for the threat to pass, right? All this stuff about, oh, well, you know, we're, we're going to do a World War Z or we're going to. And also, it depends what kind of aliens they are. Like, if it is like a, you know, like a Tom Cruise War of the Worlds alien thing. Mm hmm. Well then, you're gonna be you're gonna be there for a while. But if it's like a Plan Nine from Outer Space thing, where they just fly down here with a bunch of wooden furniture, you know, take over one corpse and then they leave, right? Like you're looking at a long weekend tops. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it really does depend. Exactly. But you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared for all um, for all uh, eventualities in that case. So I'd say, yeah, just get whatever you need. Get it at night. Get practicing out in your backyard. You know, like fresh graves only because you don't want to be dealing with settled soil in an emergency. True that. You know? It's yeah. Good plan, good plan. I don't want to say too much about it in case the time ever does come and I need to it's do it. But, mm. <laughs> yeah, keep your cards close to your chest, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So, I don't want people thinking I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, exactly. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> um, so you're you're lying in this coffin um, yeah. with your... With your uh, air hose pipe i suppose yep. i mean your yep. communication hose pipe um yep. and you're just contemplating um uh, contemplating comics really sure um and uh, you, <laughs> the, the first question that you ask yourself is i'm what... asking myself now <laughs> yeah, exactly. well you've got to keep yourself busy because you're in yeah a coffin, yeah it's know, a mental and... game it's like castaway yeah, exactly. So you've got to like come up with new things to think about, and and you think of these uh, these questions. And the first question that comes to mind is what's mm. the what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Um, what's the first comic I remember enjoying? Um, let's think now. It's it's a good thing I didn't really have any time to think about this in advance before I got on the hole. Otherwise, it would have really defeated the object. Yeah. Um, the first comic. <laughs> Um, the first comic I remember enjoying was um, uh, the sort of Simpsons comics family. Right. Um, I don't know how familiar uh, you are or anybody listening will be with them, but I mean, like this would have been around. Oof, this would have been around like ninety four to ninety seven, kind of like peak Simpsons mania. Right. You know, like you know, just started on Sky One in this country, and yeah. they were like, you know, because like the the news agents at the top of my street, it didn't have like DC or Marvel, but it had them. It had like the Dandy right. and um, the Beano and that kind of thing, and they were really good as well. But the first thing I remember really mm-hmm. enjoying were those Simpsons comics because I think they were, you know, um, I think they were they were well written. I remember them being well written. Right. But. Um, the, the the main thing that I remember about the Simpsons comics uh, was, and uh, which was true of the show as well, is that I think there's like a very narrow generation of people, that includes myself, possibly you as well, mm-hmm. that knows about American cultural tropes through the Simpsons or knew about them first through the Simpsons. Do you know what I mean? Right. So like before I ever saw like, you know, Cheers or Married with Children or even like Casablanca, Planet of the Apes, you know, you'd see them sent up on the Simpsons. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you'd see the film decades later yeah. and think oh that's what that's from you know <laughs> that's what that reference was <laughs> yeah exactly you'd see the real thing after the fact you know yeah um and bongo comics which was the publisher that was dealing with them at the time right. um they were true to that that sense of producing like authentic like convincing satire so they produced like a radioactive man series mm. and number and the number one radioactive man had the action comics number one cover send off and ha- had the color scheme and it had like a bunch of fake adverts in it that would have been appropriate to the time it was released you know yes so i think that was you know the, the sort of the sense of like duplicity with it was what, what really sort of appealed to me this idea that it was this sort of like this artifact out of time 
and it was like this real thing that had appeared out of the Simpsons universe. It was so well crafted. There was adverts in it for things from the show, and it was you know I, it was just something about it. I think it was just so like well coloured and well designed. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'd feel that way going back and looking at it now, but I did reread some recently, and I think they held up. So, I mean, and it was the first one that came to mind when I, oh, uh, when I hypothetically thought of this in the grave. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that was probably the first one that really, like, Im- that Im- you know, implanted in my mind. You know? Yeah, definitely. And uh, so, were there were there any particular storylines that stood out to you? Honestly, not a one. <laughs> like, no, I, not I at all. I know that's a bad answer for like, you know, what was the yeah. first comic you remember? Um, a comic I don't remember at all. Thanks. But yeah. like, it, it was just, I don't know. I, it felt like, like a lot of the, a lot of the runs, uh, a lot of the, the sort of the runs of comics that were in it, it was things that maybe could have been on the show as like subplots. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was like these like smaller self-contained stories, like within the Simpsons universe, you know? Yeah. And I was a huge fan of the show at the time. So, you know, obviously to me it was, you know, it was incredible to see all this extra material. Like, but, um, yeah, no, I, I don't, I genuinely, I don't. The only thing I remember is that there was a line for like, you know, there was a Radioactive Man series and an Itchy and Scratchy series and there was all this stuff and it all had its own theme and its own, you know, uh, you know, their own fake adverts and their own this and that. And, you know, and, right. you know. Yeah, no, I I, I really I felt enjoyed really it. Engaged with it. Yeah, definitely, and it felt you know it felt like a cohesive package, like nice. You know, like the the itchy and scratchy comics looked right next to the radioactive man stuff. I, I don't know. It's probably stupid as hell, but like I I was no, really impressed all, by it at the time. I was probably about was probably about like six or seven, but you know. Right. Yeah. I was impressed. And so at this age, um, were yeah. you aware that that kind of people made these comics or? Like, yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, I kind of was, but I didn't understand how. I didn't understand how you did that. Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't, you know, because I, I, I've been drawing my entire life. Because like my, my mum was always like super keen to like encourage me to draw, and you know, or there was always art supplies in the house and everything. And like whatever I drew, even if it was like the worst shit imaginable to man, she would like stick it on the fridge and tell me it was like the best thing in the world. <laughs> uh, and I, I really feel I've still got a lot of the unearned confidence you can only get that way you know right but um you know um but you know i like i'd see the credits in these comics and think oh well this must be somebody's job but it never really like do you know what i mean it never like clicked to me that oh well you know it it you know it's it's something you can kind of train do you know what i mean like i think that came later this idea that anyone can really Mm -hmm. can try it out and do it you know right and so when did you start making your own comics yourself Oh, way later, way later. I mean, like, I think, yeah. like, I remember, like, drawing, like, stupid, like, copies of pages from other comics, like, like right. Sonic the Comic, I remember, and, like, the Beano and the Dandy and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, my first comics was way later. It was, like, when I was at university, so this would have been, like, 2000 and, 2010, 2011. Okay, right. And they were just these stupid, like, little zine comics that I made and gave away for nothing. Because I used to work on the student magazine when I was at Manchester Met. Nice. and um that folded and we all had to go and do something else and i still had this like self-publishing itch and what i learned from working on the uni magazine was that you know you don't need to like apply for a job at some publishing house you can just do it you, can, you know yeah. you don't go ask anyone's permission you can just crack on with it yourself exactly and that's kind of what set me off on the path that has led me to this podcast <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah. <laughs> if i hadn't worked for that magazine my life would be very different now i think really? you know yeah 
Yeah. So you kind of through your teenage years, you were really um, kind of uh, just copying pages of comics or kind of doing other art or. In my teenage years, I wasn't really drawing at all. I mean, right. I, I would I would do the odd bit, the odd bits and pieces, but like, I went to, I went I went to, and this isn't exaggeration. This is according to the league tables. This is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the most improved school in Wales four years in a row. But the way they were working it out was, um, if if you were on ninety six percent, and then the next year you were on ninety seven, right. that was only like you know, whatever, like a less than 1% improvement year on year. But if you were on 4% and you went up mm-hmm. to 8%, that was a 100% improvement as far as they were concerned. So the way it worked right, out is because okay. the score was so low. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> put okay, a timestamp right. on right. that. Because <laughs> the score was so low to start with, Yeah, any improvement <laughs> was like, you know, the people were dancing in the hall, you know what I mean? Like, this, these incredible year-on-year gains, and it was because the school was so bad yeah. to start, you know. So I mean, you know, it, it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't like I got beaten up every day, and it wasn't it was honestly it wasn't that bad, really speaking. I mean, from my perspective, it wasn't that bad, but I think that's because I've always been like very very big, so nobody ever really wanted to try it on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. But like art classes were like, you know, it was like paint a bowl of fruit or. Um, one one of those one of the art teachers once just brought in a bunch of his album covers from like the seventies. Okay. Brought in a bunch of his records and was like, right, you go pick a record and paint it. And so you had people like painting the cover of like Tubular Bells and like wow. you know um, Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin. And, that. <laughs> and I remember us looking at each other thinking, is there really any ed- educational values what we're doing here? <laughs> and like, he kind of graded it based on how much you liked the album, you know. So, but we were like me and a few of the others, um, sort of like within my little group of. You know, because like, there was a couple of people like, that I was in school with who were essentially like cartoonists. Do you know what I mean? Like we weren't mm. fine artists, we weren't anything, but we did like drawing cartoons. We were all basically told like, they, you know, don't even bother because you know, unless you can do you know paint or you know, unless you're going for like a fine art career, then it's really not worth your time. You know, yeah. so we didn't. So you know, it was only later on that I sort of came back around to this idea. It was only because like because I was a writer when I went to university, I studied something like not art related at all. And I worked on the magazine as a writer and as like a, uh, a producer for the website. And then the year after, it was only after that I thought, and after I discovered a few comics that we'll come to later on, that I thought, you know, I probably could, you know, I think I was good enough. I could probably just try that. And and I just started self-publishing that way, you know? Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that takes tremendous courage, though, still, like, to go through that, that process and then um, have that confidence to, yeah... Just go for it. I sub- yeah, I suppose. I mean, the, the, all, all I will say is that when I was putting out, putting out those like self-printed like photocopier comics in Manchester, right. a, a, I was putting them out under a fake name because I knew they were no good. <laughs> and B, <laughs> okay. what I was doing was I was printing them myself, stapling them, and then I would go to like a record shop or a cafe or something that, had, that took zines. I would throw them onto like the zine shelf or the window, and then I would literally cycle away at top speed <laughs> before anybody could like confront me about them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like a comic that was the start. Of, yeah, that it was like a comic drive-by. That was literally the start of my small press career. Was 
throwing comics that I knew were trash in people's like shop windows and then hightailing it on the bike. That was my that was how I got started in comics. It took years for me to a put my own name on and b sit stationary behind a table where people could accost me for them. Yeah, you know. Fair play, mate. Fair play. But you know that's a that's a it's an interesting journey for sure. And I, I guess it's kind of part of everybody's. Um, process and it's interesting to hear that because you know there could be somebody listening to this now that you know might be doing that very thing and then you know it's just about a matter of building up that confidence I guess yeah I mean yeah what it comes down to is like because my thing was much like I used to read like the credits of like Simpsons comics and think oh I wonder how you get that job it's like well Mm. you can just do it you don't need anyone's permission and no one's ever gonna tap you on the shoulder and tell you it's right come on it's time to go no you just gotta You've just got to crack on. No one's gonna. No one's gonna give you the nod. You just got to do it yourself. Yeah. Just get out. Give yourself the nod. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Fantastic. Um. So, um. We've uh. We we're moving on to our to our next question of contemplation in the sure. coffin, um. Which is, uh, what's the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most? This was probably the hardest one to decide for me. Right. Yeah, this was easily the hardest question because, like, right. um, obviously, like I, I, I can, I consider myself to be in like the, the 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 sort of like the funny comic game. Yeah. So a lot of the comics that I really enjoyed when I first started were funny comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a is like there's a few there's a few I could have said, and there's one coming up later that I could have said for this. But I think in terms of like the jokes that were in it and how often it would just wrong foot you at the turn. Um, I'm going to say uh, Perry Bible Fellowship by Nicholas Gewirch. Right. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm, I'm, it w- I'm not familiar with it. I, I looked it out briefly. But, yeah, uh, it, yeah. Tell us more. Yeah, it was kind of, well, well, the thing is, like, it was kind of a, um, um, like, it wasn't like a, uh, it wasn't like an ongoing narrative. They were essentially like newspaper strips. Right. You know, like it was like like a three or four panel thing with a with a punchline, like a da 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 punchline. You know, right. like these little contained things. Yeah. And because uh, I've I've spoken about this on a few other podcasts as well, but like um, like to me, uh, like I sort of circled back around to comics when I was um, when I was sort of like in my later teenage years. And in my early twenties, and this would have been around like the mid two thousands web comic boom, right? And to me, there is nothing. There, there was no era in comics as generally rancid as the web comics of the mid two thousands. Like there were obviously, you know, there, there were some people doing really good work, but I mean, you know, by and large, I think there was it was just so much rubbish that was out at that time. And so much, and so much of it took like the Perry Bible Fellowship format of like okay. these little joke strips. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, but I think I think the thing that Perry Bible Fellowship was, uh, you know, was really impressive was the jokes in it were very, very were, were quick, and you didn't know where they were coming from, and they were clever without being like smug. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like. Mm-hmm. Oh well, you've actually got to be smart to read this comic. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, you know, some of the some of the jokes were stupid, but they were cleverly done stupid jokes. Do you know what I mean? Nice. Yeah. Like, um, 
like like one of, like the one that always like springs to mind for me is like it's it's two people um cleaning up the bodies after some perceived like uh I, they never say what it is but they're cleaning up like a pile of bodies after some disaster and the the bloke turns to this woman and says oh, there's no survivors and he goes especially not over there and he points and she looks out of frame and she goes not now and the last frame it pans out and he's arranged the bodies to spell out will you marry me <laughs> Oh my god! And I, I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, "Oh my god!" Do you know what I mean? Like, but it was just such a clever and and also like the the, the other thing that I really really liked about um, Perry Barber Fellowship was, and that this was largely atypical of the web comics of the mid two thousands, was that it was very very nicely presented. Like the art okay. was incredible. Yeah, you know, like it was, and it was all. And, and especially, like, if you think, like, you know, mid-2000s, so this would have been around the time that, like, Penny Arcade was, like, the biggest thing in the world. And, you know, um, you know, graphics tablets were just kind of, like, becoming, um, decent, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were just becoming, like, viable for, you know, for, like, have-a-go people. You know what I mean? Right. So there was a lot of, like, cell-shaded, like, you know, yeah, you know, bad stuff being produced at the time. But Perry Bible Fellowship kind of debunked all that, and it and it was right. doing stuff manually with real, you know, real watercolor and real like inks and things like that. It looked really raw, and it was yeah. It, I I think it was like such a tremendous like artistic achievement. Yeah. You know, but I mean, in terms of like, I think partly I think that helped that helped a lot of the jokes sometimes. You know, the fact that it looked so it was so artistically accomplished. And then to have these like beautifully rendered panels producing such stupid jokes, you know, <laughs> I was I was just really impressed by it. But yeah, no, I was I was a big fan of a uh, big fan of Nicholas Gurewich. Yeah, it was really really good. Great, because it looks like the uh, the website is still up there. Yeah, um, and it's still all available, and you can kind of look at the archives and things. Yeah, um, and I believe is it it's still going by the looks of it. Every now and again, yeah. I think he's done a few other things in in the, uh, I think like two thousand and like four to nine was like the peak of it. Right. He's done a few like graphic novels and things like that in the interim yeah. period, and he's worked for other people. Yeah, I think. Two thousand and one to two thousand and four. Oh, there we go. Two thousand and four yeah. to two thousand and eight, and then two thousand and ten to two thousand and nineteen, which is like looks like it's less regular, but you know he's, yeah. he's putting stuff up there now and again. He's yeah. got some favourites in there, but the one that the one that's up there at the moment. So it's kind of like real, real simplistic drawings here, and it's it's a man walking his dog with a yeah. woman in shot who's clearly got like holding a lead a lead as well, and it, and the man saying, "Oh, somebody wants to say hi." Then it oh, I know this out. one. Yeah, <laughs> a, the man's still holding the dog, but the woman has basically a gimp. Yeah, yeah. On all fours, Um, yeah, with with a ball in the mouth and everything. And uh, yeah, that's uh, (laughs) that was quite a surprise. But Um, but I'm I'm looking at it now, right? But do you know what I love about um, Perry Barber Fellowship? It's always like it's the little details that make it. Like if you look, like she's got like um, like a poop bag in her back pocket. The one who's got the gimp on the lead. Yes, even that's right. You know what yeah, I mean, and like, and there was, great, and there was one it? where like this, um, the, this like god of the sea, like walked, uh, you know, the, this like bloke dressed as Neptune walked out of the sea and said to this kid on the beach, "The time has come, my child." You know, and, and you know, had like a trident and stuff, and then the very last frame is this guy 
with in cuffs being led into a police car, and in the foreground is a wanted poster for this bloke. Oh my god! But but in the earlier panel where he's walking out of the sea with his trident, you can see he's got like a digital watch on. Right, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so the it little. The game away. It gives the game away. Do you know what I mean? Like I I always thought exactly. it was so cleverly done. And just the little details that made it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I was a huge fan of it, and like, I still love it now. You know, so Fair play, yeah, man. no, I loved okay. it. That's a great one, excellent. Um, so we're going to change gears here. Okay. Um, so the next uh, question that you ask yourself is, uh, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? Yeah, this was a, this was a tough one. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm like hugely emotionally affected by um, comics typically, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, mainly because um, if I ever cried as a child, my dad would like zap me with a car battery. Right. But um... <laughs> that should be a most. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like this. If you were zapped with a car battery, um, <laughs> no, no. But like, I, I, I do find it like, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm like hugely emotionally affected by. Comedy. I think m- mostly it's because you know, like I said, like, I tend to veer towards like comedy comics, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that really got me was um, Ducks by Kate Beaton, right? Um, which uh, is at the moment, uh, I think it's still uh, a web comic. It's it's still just available on the web for now. Mm. Um, it was a sketch comic that she made a good few years ago. I think it's being developed into like a longer form thing for Drawn and Quarterly at the moment. Okay. But at present, it is just the sketch comic that, um, uh, yeah, that's available via her website, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But I think that was probably the most, like, you know, I think that was the most like, emotionally affecting comic that I've, that I've read personally. And I think, I think partly because, because um, like, it's, it's about uh, her time working at the oil sands in Alberta. Okay. So, yeah, uh, which was... Um, yeah, you know, you know where they're drawing like, um, uh, like petrochemicals out of the sands, you know. Yeah. And obviously, there was like huge, like ecological impacts with that, where like the ducks would fly into the sand, and you know. Yeah. So, um, but she worked there for a couple of years, I think it was, or maybe just over a year, like, um, just like in administration, just to pay off her student loans, I think it was. Right. And um, like I remember, and it was like it wasn't about like. It wasn't about like um, whether the oil sands were good or bad. It wasn't about um, you know the impact of the oil sands on the community. It wasn't about the Greenpeace protesters that were there when she was there. What it was about was about like the people um, who lived and worked on the oil sands, mm-hmm. and like I think that sort of like that account of like the real people that were affected by the oil sand, because you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't pass, it doesn't pass any judgment on the ecological aspect of it. And it doesn't right. shy away from it either, mm-hmm. but it's about like the real, like the actual real human cost of running an oil sand. Yeah. And you know, she's, you know, and you know, it's, it's, you know, she's, you know, re- recounting stories that she was told by people who were working there at the time and like experiences she had. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I, 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 I like personally, like for me, it was, um, like it hit sort of like it hit home nerve for me because when I was growing up, my father worked in a quarry his entire life, pretty much his entire working life worked on a quarry. He was a, 
He was a cook on. Uh, he was a cook for the merchant navy for the first couple right. of years of his life, and then he worked in a quarry uh, in the village I come from for forty years or something stupid like that, like forty plus years, right? Yeah. So you know, um, he's been like super active all his life and all the rest of it, and you know, he's you know, he he, he looks like he's worked in a quarry for forty odd years, right. and basically the whole time he was working there. You know, um, the the village that was basically built around the quarry was campaigning to have the quarry shut. Right, so yeah. that was kind of like hanging over me and over the family yeah. the whole time we were growing up that, you know, if dad loses his job, then the whole thing's a bust. Do you know what I mean? So like that yeah. was hanging over us the whole time. And I think there was just some parallel with ducks. Right. That you know, like it just, it just, it sort of pressed on that nerve a little bit, that insecurity. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. you see these stories about these, like these blokes who, you know, you know, my dad wasn't like living in the quarry. Obviously, he came over every night. Not like these blokes are working on their oil sands. But you see these stories about these, you know, these blokes who are, you know, developing like a camaraderie on the sands. Mm. And uh, you know, even though they're in Canada and I was in Wales, you know, you you see parallels between. You know, because you know there there is there are similarities there. You know, and I think that's something that like Kate Beaton, like I'm I'm such a fan of Kate Beaton. Obviously, like um yeah. you know I was such a big fan of her, and I think it's something that could have been handled so badly. Because I remember seeing an interview with her where she said like she was sick of seeing like Rolling Stone dickheads come into the sands for like two weeks, staying in a hotel and then writing like an expose. Right, right. And right. and then she was like, well, no, you know, you didn't really, you didn't see anything, you know? So she was like, I lived there for a year, so I'll I'll write what I saw. And, you know, and that's being developed into a, into a longer thing. But I think that was as good an account of like the working class experience and of like hard labor mm-hmm. as anything else i've ever read you know like yeah. so yeah i mean that that pressed a nerve for the me just because account of the situation yeah definitely itself. yeah 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 and like and, and you know and she admits to stuff like she was in the office you know it wasn't like she was out there you know operating like dangerous machinery or anything but she saw you know she saw and observed for a year and she was part of it for it she lived there on site you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh no i just thought it was a i just thought it was a really nice portrayal of that but yeah definitely like that yeah pressed a nerve for me definitely so i'd say that was that was like the most emotionally affecting comic i've ever read in that it made me feel something do you know what i mean yeah whereas most comics i just read them and then just turn my face away flatly and just don't think about them again ever for sure and Mm. that's probably true of when a comic properly emotionally hits you is that it hits an emotional nerve yeah um, and you see a parallel with your own life um, yeah, you know, particularly that that situation, you know, um, and 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 that's the power that that comics has, really. That you know, if you're, I mean, that's a real life situation that Kate lived through, obviously, but that's yeah. a situation that many people are living through throughout the world. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's a, that's incredible, um, interesting. Yeah, that's available to free for uh, for to read for free. By the way, like if you, if you yeah. search Kate Beaton Ducks, it's just all there's like things like five like Tumblr. long page. Yeah, it's on a Tumblr, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's free to read. So anyone who's even like remotely curious, like you've probably seen Kate Beaton's work anyway. Like yeah. you know, because she did like Harker Vagrant for years, which was you know superb, and that was a runner for 
funniest comic. Like, basically, there's like two or three people that could have answered basically every comic <laughs> on this list, but I had sure. to kind of like space them out to where they fitted best. So, you know, um, but yeah, I'd recommend anybody read it, you know, because I genuinely think it's like, I can't wait for the graphic novel. I think that's going to be, you know, that's going to be like a turning point type thing. Do you know what I mean? I I, I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Um, And so uh, we move on to our our next question, Yeah. uh, which is what's the the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Yeah. Um, God, this was a this was a really tricky one because um, I don't really I don't really like. It's not that I, it's not that I don't read like a lot of like horror comics or whatever because I, I think I've read a fair few. But I mean, it's it's thinking of one that like really like particularly made an impact. And I'd say in that regard, it was probably um, Chew by John Lehman and Rob Guillory. I think it was. Um, that was probably the one that stands out the most in my mind. Because mm-hmm. um, like, for anyone who doesn't know or remember what Chew was about, it was about a, um, it was about like, um, like a, a food, I think it was a food and drug administration in America, mm-hmm. like set in the future. Um, it was this fella who could um, uh, sort of like sense um, a living things, uh, history or last moments by eating its flesh. Like he had this ability to like, so if he ate like, you know, a piece of like chicken, for instance, mm-hmm. um, he would see like that chicken's like last half hour. Or if, you know, if they got given like, uh, like a piece of thumb from an unidentified body, he would have to like take a bite into it to find out who they were and why they died, you know? Right. Um, I think the thing about that was, is like, it was, like this it was it was funny and it was it was like um it was like it was such an intriguing premise because like you know if you think of like horror or you know um you know uh like like particularly like violent or gory comics that are designed to like shock you know yeah um i i think chew was good because it it kind of played on it, it played on the senses. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it yeah. focused on like unpleasant sensation in a way that a stupider book wouldn't have thought to do. Do you, do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? If you'd given this premise to like to some bozo, I don't think they would have thought to really hammer home that, you know, the horror of having to bite into a disembodied finger or, you know, uh, like there was a lot of things in Chew that were based on like visceral disgust like the sense of disgust i think it conveyed that better than anything else i've read like in in comics or actually in anything to be honest with you. like it really sort of conveyed that sort of sense of disgust better than anything so i say that was like the most horrifying thing i've read it was so well done and it was like and like i said like it had it was so well paced and timed and drawn like there were funny moments in it and there was sweet you know like light moments in it but yeah, in terms of like, just you know, just sort of like body horror, almost. You know, it was yeah. yeah I'd, I'd say it was yeah something else and unparalleled even now. I would say you know. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely gonna have to properly check that out. It looks like there's, uh, there's about sixty issues of that. Yeah, I'd say that's about so. right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and and did he? How did he come across that? Uh... Yeah. God, did I come across that? 
I think that was... Uh, God, how did I find that? Um, I think that was a comicsology sale okay. <laughs> when yeah, I was yeah. at university, I think. Cause oh, that's like, great. Yeah, because I think the, the very first iPad I ever had, someone said, oh, you've got to get comicsology for it. I was like, what's that? And they, they, you know, and I think it was in the sale. I think possibly while it was still running. I, I right. discovered that, and like I think that's that's stopped now. But um, Rob Guillory's gone on to create Farmhand, which is very in a sort of similar vein to Chew. I find like mm-hmm. it's in a similar sort of lane. But um, right, yeah, Chew was definitely the most horrifying comic I think I've read. Yeah, sounds sounds pretty disgusting in some in some parts. I'm sure. Yeah, it is. It's horrible, but it's but it's good horrible, you know. Yeah, at the same time, of course. And yeah. it's not gratuitous either. That's another thing. Like it would have been so easy to make it like, you know, just needlessly na- like. Do you like this? Do you know what I mean? Like just nasty, mm. like horrible. But it wasn't. You know, I, I'd say it was. You know, it. You know, it. 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 Well, it was well spaced. You know, nice. the the really nasty set pieces were very well spaced and also illustrated very almost like abstractly a lot of the time because there was sort of like a at some point there was like a sort of a spacey theme to some of it without going into too much detail but you know like a lot of that was shown in like very very like tight grids where you know you'd see like a lot of very different things all on one page and like it, it was it was really really interesting yeah it was um it was very smartly laid out i was uh yeah, I was a big fan of you, but it was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and so we tr- we tried to move on to a more uh, more positive beat. Sure. Um, and uh, the question that comes to mind is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Um, for right, th- this could have easily been my pick for underrated as well, but I thought um, uh, I I found it personally very meaningful, and that was um, uh, Retrograde Orbit by Kristana Baczynski. Right. Um, which I don't know if you've read. I think it came out last year on Avery Hill. Yeah, I think so. I, I haven't read it yet. I've seen it quite a few times, and I've actually been meaning to <clears throat> to pick it up at some point because I've had really good things. Yeah, I think I think the problem is I think I think like you know, well, I, I say the problem like you know it was very well received and you know everyone really seemed to like it, but yeah. it, it came out uh, like in the middle of a really really like you know heavy release season. Do you know what I mean? So there was like. Right. Even just from Avery Hill, it was like, you know, follow me in and um, on a sunbeam and that all around the same time, do you know what I mean? Right. But, um, you know, like, you know, not that it needs any help because it was, you know, it did very well. But, um, like, I've been following, like, uh, Christina as, like, an artist for, for quite a long time. I think I think that's how you say the name. I double-checked earlier. If it's not, I'm okay. very, very sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been, follow- I've been, like, following her on, like, Twitter. And I think maybe tumblr before do you know what i mean like for like a very very long right. time and then because like, i've always i've always been like a really really big fan of her illustration like you probably wouldn't think to look at like my stuff but she's been a big influence on like my style of drawing and that much as kate beaton has been and yeah. you know a few others um yeah i can see that yeah but um yeah i mean when when like because because i'm the the stuff that i've seen of hers has been has been more this sort of like um, it's been it's been more like you know, illustrative pieces, like uh, mm-hmm. prints and posters and things for brands and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and then you know because I, I knew she did comics and I read like a few of her like zines and what have you. But then when I, I heard that this was in the works, you know I was you know, I was really excited because I thought oh well you know it'd be really interesting to see what she does with a with a graphic novel, mm. and 
what I was amazed by was like it was it was so well presented. I mean, like the the story was fantastic. I think it's her debut. I think that's her first like graphic novel. And you know, if if it is, then it's remarkable because like, it's yeah. this like wonderful sort of like you know uh, intergalactic like you know immigration family story thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just it was just something about it because like, it is thing like it I, it really like it really sort of like connected with me. And thing is like that you know that sort of like that that feeling like you know like uh, you know a stranger in a strange land. Like that's not my that's not my story, you know. I am Welsh. Mm-hmm. I have lived in Wales forever, you know. <laughs> I I went to Manchester for a few years and then I came straight back, you know. So like right. that's not my experience, but yeah. there was just something about it. I think it was just it was so well realised and so well presented, and the story matched the art, and it was just I don't know. I honestly I I couldn't I couldn't say exactly what it was that like really like clicked with me about it but it was just something i just thought it was just so well well realized and so well presented do you know what i mean like i think i've read it twice since it came out and i just sort of look at it and just think oh my god do you know what i mean like, it's, it's such a yeah, such a fantastic incredible. package do you know what i mean yeah like it's just as you know even if it even if it was just the art or even if it was just the color scheme or just the writing it all would be good on its own merits, but when it's you know, I think it's as as well realized a package as you know any graphic novel I've read in a long time. And I don't know, like I think like the mark of like if something means something to you is if you keep coming back to it and keep thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so like to me, it, it you know it is one of the most it is one of the more meaningful comics I've read because it has kind of lodged itself in there somewhere. You know. Yeah. And you can also see yourself rereading it again and again. Oh yeah, absolutely, and recommending it to people. And yeah, yeah like, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely lodged itself in my brain somewhere. You know, it, it continues to rattle around in a way that other things may not. You know, fair play, fair. Yeah, play. no, it was fantastic. Great. Um, and so the next question that comes to mind is is what's the most underrated? comic right i did i this was another this was another difficult one to pick i did think about this and much like uh charles raymond said um i did think about naming somebody who is like on the circuit today that everyone that i i feel everyone is like fast asleep on like demetrius mm-hmm. zach someone like him okay but with him and with a lot of other people like his day will come you know i'd be amazed if it you know it, it, saying him would be like saying you know the beatles were really underrated before 1963 it's like yeah but after 1963 they were fine so don't worry about the beatles mm-hmm. um so you know the same goes for a lot of you know very talented people who at the moment are independent operators so for underrated i have decided to go with um uh, Chris Seavey's Frank Sidebottom strips for Oink comic in the late 80s and early 90s. Right, fair play. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't remember or know uh, Frank Sidebottom, he was the sort of Mancunian artist and comedian who wore a big papier-mâché head and talked you know, through a diver's clip. <clears throat> so he had a really nasal voice and he used to do stupid plinky-plonky versions of popular songs and all that. But um, he had a comic strip in Oink magazine which ran um, sort of as like a parallel to Viz in the sort of like late 80s and early 90s. And there was a lot of people who worked on Oink 
um, who are still working today. I think David Leach worked for Oink, and I think Charlie Brooker did some stuff for Oink. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so it, it wasn't around for very long, but um, for the time, you know, for what little time it was around, there were some like heavy hitters who worked for it. And like I know, like you know, Chris and Frank were obviously more famous as like you know television performers and live performers and you know, all the rest of it. Mm. But I I I, th- I think his contribution to British comic making deserves reevaluating. You know, right? Because like, if you look at his strips in Oink, and some mm. of them are available on like Google Images and stuff, and like, I've got a few of them at home. Um, like it was so it was such a like well realized like you know it, it was and the thing is like chris was like a notorious like auteur like he wouldn't let anyone else do anything for frank like he built all the sets for franks he did all the artwork designed all the costumes made the costumes and he did everything frank related wouldn't let anyone else touch it right. and the comics were the same and they were all done in the in, you know in this like childish handwriting that was yeah. frank's and you know it was all done in like felt tip and mistakes were just crossed out. They weren't even whited out. They were just crossed or scribbled out. Amazing. Yeah, and it, and like to me, and it was you know it was like like if you if you were familiar with like Frank's act, the mm. the comic was within that realm and it was within that universe. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I mean, I think like you know, I think a lot of those like um, sort of like very British comics from like you know like Oink being one. I think a lot of that stuff, like, is it, you know, there, there is, you know, I think there may be, you know, the, the, you know, the, the time for that sort of thing might be coming around again. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Why like, not? yeah, exactly. Why not? And I think, you know, uh, yeah, I think Chris Seavey was an underrated artist. I think, you know, he was, I feel, I feel Frank Sidebottom was underrated anyway, and I think that the least popular thing that he did, which was his comics, was also underrated. <laughs> you know, because yeah, I, I think he could have done. I think he could have done a lot of other stuff as well. You know, like obviously he only ever did stuff as Frank because that's what he was known as. Yeah. But um, uh, his archive is in the possession of the Manchester Library now. Like after he died, right. so they've they've got possession of everything, and they put on an exhibit not long ago where they they had everything, like literally everything that was in his house when he died. Right. And there was like artwork from when he was like a kid, and there was like his report cards from school. But there was all these drawings he'd done, and some of them were in oink, and some of them I don't think had been seen anywhere. But you could just see the level of detail and just the you know the you know because like you know the, the humor of like Frank Sidebottom, you either, you either like it or you don't, I think, right? But like the the humor of it was all, you know, it was all there to see. You know what I mean? Like, and you know the the amount of time he must have spent making this stuff was unreal. But you know he just wouldn't, like I said, he wouldn't delegate anything. But yeah. I mean, I that, that's you know that's a per, that's a personal. Tasting. I'm sure you know. I'm sure there's not many people who would agree with me that Chris Seavey is the most underrated comic artist in Britain. But <laughs> but to, no, but to me, it's yeah. It's a legacy as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think his legacy is being reevaluated now because there was that documentary about him this year, and there was the Frank. Um, there was the yeah the uh, being Frank. I think it was called. And there was right. um, okay. which is very very good and worth a watch. And there was um. Uh, the Michael Fassbender film Frank. That was really good. I yeah, really which enjoyed that. yeah, which was based on uh, John Ronson's time in Frank's band, but it was like a pastiche right. of that and like Captain yeah. Beefheart and a few other stories. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think he is being, I think he is being reevaluated to a point. But I, but I hope his like comic uh, exploits are included in that. 
I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, big fan. Great. Well, good to uh, good to highlight that work, and then hopefully people will check that out more. And as you say, kind of reevaluate, and then perhaps yeah. Um, yeah, if that if that's the only thing I achieve from coming on this podcast, then I'll be happy with that. <laughs> if there is finally the critical reappraisal of Chris CV's work, <laughs> fantastic! Yeah, yeah, it was all worth it. It was yeah, all definitely. Worth it. Great. Um, and so we come on to one of the most difficult questions. Sure. Um, and that is, for you, what is the best comic of all time? Gun Show by Casey Green. There you go. Easy. That was the easiest one. So, Kate, right, Gun was, Show, right, here we right. go. Right, buckle in, folks, because I'm back on my Gun Show bullshit, right? Um, <laughs> gun Show, for me, is the best comic that was ever made. It is the best body of work of any comic artist, living or dead, out of the way, Jack Kirby. Out of the way, Bob Kane. I don't care. Like, not interested in any of that. You're all a bunch of scrubs. Casey Green's Gun Show, number one. Thanks. Okay. There you go. No, but to me, like, yeah, um, like I've rattled on about Casey Green enough now. I think, I think, <laughs> on on like, other shows. But I'm gonna, I am gonna take my time here and go into exactly why I liked it. Please do. Um. Right, so for those who don't know Gun Show, like for those who don't know Casey Green, um, you do know him. You just don't know that you know him um, because you have seen uh, the meme of the dog in a top hat um, with a cup of coffee in a flaming room saying, this is fine. Yeah, right. we've, we've all seen that picture. That's Casey Green, and that is from Gun Show, right? Um, Gun Show ran for, I would say, a good five, six, maybe seven years, something like that. I'm not entirely sure how long it ran for. Mm-hmm. But it was um, all at the same time. It was very, very funny. Um, it was touching and horrifying and sad and stupid and clever and silly and, you know, well-drawn and ugly as hell. It was everything. And you never knew what you were going to get any given day of the week. Like it was, it, it was updating it all the time. And sometimes the strips would be these little, like, four-panel jokes, like the sort of, like, Perry Bible Fellowship-style things. Right. And sometimes it would be these, like, pages and pages and pages of this, you know, this long story. And then it would just end, and he'd be on to something else, and you never knew where anything was going. You know, um, the artwork visibly evolved over time. Like, you could see that you you can pinpoint the moment he stopped using... Um, in quash, do you know what I mean? Like you can see okay. where he started doing other things, and you know the artwork like evolves and changes with time. And the, you know, I, I mean, you know, I honestly like how long have you got? Because I could, I could go on, you know, I I could go on just a minute about Gun Show, no problem, you know, no hesitation, no repetition. I could go on about Gun Show all night long, but like, and especially like because to me, like I can, I circled back to comics when I was like like late teens, early twenties. And, you know, like Harker Vagrant was very good. And Perry Barber Fellowship was very good. And the things like Akewood, uh, there was a comic called White Ninja, which I really liked. But for me, like Gun Show was like, it was, it was, it was like a light bulb going off. It was like someone had just like lit the way for me. Like yeah. you can do this. Do you know what I mean? Cause it was, it was my type of comedy. It, you know, it was the type of cartooning that I really connect with. That sort of like gritty, lumpy looking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like Casey Green is genuinely an incredible artist, right? But like Gun Show looks wonky on purpose, but it does look very wonky. Right. 
Um, and it all just, uh, yeah, it just immediately clicked with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, that's great. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't be doing comics if it wasn't for Gun Show. I know I wouldn't. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it it came out at the right time. I saw it at the right time in my life to, you know, to really appreciate it for what it was. Um, you know, and yeah, it was. I don't know. It's just yeah. It was a lot. It was. Yeah, I I can't say enough good things about Gun Show other than, you know, it was just uh, it was the right thing at the right time, and I could read it over and over and over again, and never get bored of it. You know, amazing. Yeah, oh, that's so, so great uh, when you when you kind of just connect with something that strongly. Um, yeah, and that yeah, you just you can feel that that is the the style of comic that I want. Uh, those, yeah. those are the stories that I want told. And yeah, just made that instant connection. That's awesome. Well, that's it. Cause like, the first time I saw it, I was like, Oh my God. So I thought this is it. This is like, this is what I've been waiting for. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, cause like Harker Vagrant by Kate Beaton, you know, very, very, very funny and very good. But you know, it was, um, you know, um, it was a, a little bit more artistically accomplished than I could, feasibly manage and possibly right. a wee a wee bit too clever for my essentially broken brain um there was some you know perry barber fellowship i couldn't draw like that you know what i mean and i'm not, I'm not saying like oh i like gun show because it was really easy no it was you know it was it, it it gave me like a blueprint of like right you know you you can you can draw in this style until you settle into your own do you know what i mean right like it was the right thing, and I I loved, and I still do love the aesthetic of Gun Show, and like, and I think now if you looked at like if you looked at those like comics I put out on the photocopier when I was like twenty one, mm. and you looked at Gun Show, it'd be like, oh yeah, this is like a Gun Show tribute band. Do you know what I mean? Okay. This yeah. is Gun Gun yeah. Show UK. It's no the limits, Sun right? Show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, if you looked if you looked at my stuff now. I, I think you could probably go, okay, yeah, influenced by Casey Green, yes, I can see that. Right. Yeah. But it's not you know, it's not a it's not the pastiche that You're it not was. Not a tribute band anymore. Yeah. Not a tribute band anymore. No, I'm the yeah. guy who left the tribute band yeah. because the weddings were drying up around the winter and I needed a bit more steady income. So I thought I'm gonna <laughs> sure. try my own band and right. my own band sucks and it's way less successful. But I've got the you know, the satisfaction of doing my own bands now at least right but yeah i mean yeah it just immediately you know and i'm sure if you you know if you got like a thousand other people together and said right here's gun show what do you think of it especially other comics people Mm -hmm. like i'm sure like of you know of the ones that had even heard of it i'm sure like some of them would just like you know be repulsed by it Mm -hmm. because there were like horrible moments and any other thing gun show other than like what was the first comic you remember it could have been any any number on the list any single number yeah like the real hardship was not mentioning gun show before now i've been sat here like <laughs> digging my fingernails into my hands like come on just go talk about gun show <laughs> <laughs> love it mate yeah awesome yeah. And that, that brings us on to our to our last question in regards to uh to comics and that is if you could take only uh one comic into the apocalypse from this list which would it be <sighs> Well, it's, it's a tough call, but I'm going to have to say Gun Show by Casey surprise, Green. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Silla Black. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, um, you're you're more than welcome to uh, to have uh, printed um, copies of uh, of all of the strips from uh, from Gun Show. 
um, in your uh, in your coffin. Um, Perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll print. Uh, there, there isn't a printed printed edition, is there, or is there? There are printed editions. Oh, um, I've got most of them. Excellent. Um, so we we can we, we can put those in in your uh, your coffin for you. Um, Great, thanks. So we can uh, play away with the time. Um, but uh, the, the the last question yeah. is: uh, What weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the uh, into the apocalypse with you as well? Right. So the, when it's like tool, weapon, or item, um, so I, I took this to mean like so this is this is basically in case I get captured, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. So I've so I've been captured. Right. So let let's say that I do get captured by the aliens. Let's say okay. they've got like thermal goggles, or they just tug on the hosepipe too hard, and I just come popping <laughs> out the ground. Right. Yeah. And they sling me in an alien prison with a bunch of other humans. Right. And so we're flying off to wherever they're taking us. Right. Right. Um, I would bring a whistle, like a referee's whistle. Nice. Right. Because let's be honest. Right. If they're rounding us up, it's not going to be for anything nice, is it? And I'm I'm a naturally right. anxious person. Mm. So the not knowing what's coming would do my head in. So I bring a whistle because I don't care what species you are. No living thing on earth or anywhere else likes the sound of somebody just blowing on a whistle continuously, do they? <laughs> no one likes that. Fantastic. I get the whistle and I would just start absolutely tanning it, like blowing into it all hours, day and night, right? Until they either cut my head off or just slung us out the spaceship window. They haven't got windows, but you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Like that would be basically my plan. It would be to just blow on the whistle day and night. And to be honest, I'd rather that because if it turns like, let's say they were bringing us to their planet and it's class and all the aliens were like dying to meet me. Well, it wouldn't bother me at that point because I'd already be dead. Do you know what I mean? They'd stuff me in the airlock and send me out into space or whatever. Yeah. Based on not knowing. And plus, if they did do that, let's say they stuffed me in the airlock with my whistle because they were like, oh my God, can we get that whistle out of you? And so I'm flying through space now. I'm dead, right? So now what am I? I'm a skeleton floating through space with a whistle around my neck. And that's going to raise more questions than it answers for anyone who finds that, isn't it? <laughs> that should be your next comic. Yeah, that's in the works now. But that is a mystery for the ages, isn't it? If I turn up on some planet with civilized, you know, with civilized life, yeah. this, this alien skeleton with a whistle and someone like tries to blow on it, they go, oh, don't like that. What is that about? That, that's a mystery, isn't it? <laughs> that is going to be on the History Channel for sure. Hundred percent. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what it is, but lately I've just been watching, like the the clips from the History Channel where they kind of they they look at like some ancient monument. Oh like, they, God! They, yeah, they, but they have they have good experts at the start of it. Then about halfway through, they go, but ancient astronaut theorists think. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Like, they go off like, um, this could be. This is definitely aliens like or something it's like yeah wow, of course that was it such is. a yeah. massive leap <laughs> um but it, it's so good um so i reckon that would be on the history channel yeah, yeah. well it would be now now the history like as you said now the history channel is just wild theorizing <laughs> yeah. yeah like my That's whistle skeleton is 100 percent going to be the subject of a, of a of a history channel documentary on yeah. whatever planet i end up on <laughs> once i've been airlocked definitely oh 100% 100% yeah. I, look, I look forward to that episode that's going to yeah, be awesome yeah me too well no I won't see it I'll be dead but yeah <laughs> oh yeah sorry about that that's uh, okay <laughs> but, uh, but thank you for sharing your, your comics for the apocalypse John it's been an absolute pleasure I've enjoyed it thank you for having me oh fantastic um, and just for the listeners one more time where can they find you on the internet 
they can go to johntucker.co.uk or they can find me on Twitter at johntuckerart. Fantastic. And then do you yep. have any uh, cons coming up this year at all? Um, oh, well, um, depending on when this comes out, I may have something around Christmas, which will be on my website. My entire cool. convention schedule up to date is always um, on my website if you do okay. want to know where and when I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next um, big fixture for me is going to be uh, True Believers 2020. Okay, cool. And uh, we'll busk it from there, I think. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, uh, I think it's the 1st of February, isn't it, off the top of my head? Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, the first Saturday of, uh, of February in 2020. Right, yeah. And I will be there, so hopefully we can catch up uh, face-to-face properly. Oh, perfect. Lovely. Yeah, that'd be excellent. Great. Um, well, thanks again for your time today, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, I look, look forward to, to seeing you in the real world um, in, uh, in 2020. Yeah, you too. If I haven't been rounded up or, or my hose pipe hasn't snapped. <laughs> that's the other thing. If someone gets stuck in that hose pipe, that's, yeah. that's game over. Oh, like if so, yeah, or if someone blows into mate. it, you know. <laughs> or Ugh. something else. Well, yes. Well, that's a risky take. That's just a risky take. You, know, you just got to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic, mate. Well, thanks again, and uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, you too. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again to John for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute riot. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. That's not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out John's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.